0: welcome to another episode of journey to the pit i'm jim collins and i'll be your host this evening if this is your first time joining us over here at journey to the pit and you're watching us from youtube make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe and notification button if you're following us over there on that uh facebook journey to the pit page make sure you hit that like and follow button but listen we always give these interviews every friday night at 9 p.m eastern standard time we bring you special guests from all over the world, Gamefowl breeders from all over the world, so they can give us unfiltered information on their journey to the pit. So basically what we talk about is all the aspects of Gamefowl, from the breeding, the selection, the setup, the care, the brooders, the incubators, natural hatch, everything that you would need to know to raise Gamefowl. So we bring special guests on from all over the world to make sure that we give a wide variety of, of different types of scenarios and situations that may be able to apply to you because you realize that raising gamefowl different places, a lot of things have to be different. Everything cannot be the same from the feed to the care uh, to running an incubator. You know, to many things. So, like I say, we bring these breeders from all over. Uh, but tonight we got a little twist. Uh, tonight we got a special guest coming on. Uh, someone uh, bringing a skill set that I think we all can use. Um, that we have never talked about here on Journey to the Pit. I think uh, the information that he'll be sharing this evening will give us some great insight and also give us another line of defense to protect our flock. Um, Y'all guys have seen, I have advertised it or promoted it throughout the week. We're going to have Phil Anderson on tonight talking about vermin control. You know, we're going to talk about foxes, raccoons, possums, coyotes, you know, all these different types of animals. And some animals that you never thought each chickens so that's going to be it's going to be a great evening tonight make sure y'all guys take y'all notes um if y'all guys like i said is looking at this watching us from uh youtube make sure you hit that subscribe button and that notification button and if y'all guys are watching us over there on facebook on journey to the pit page make sure you hit that follow that like and that follow button so i'm gonna bring phil anderson on i want everybody to start checking in checking in Jim loaded and clear on the youtube all right thank you marcus i appreciate that i just want to make sure that y'all guys can hear me loud and clear before we get this show on the road um we started a little late we had a few little technical difficulties as y'all guys know with this technology we depend on it a lot but hey we're not all you know this ain't what we do for a living so we got to sometimes just try to figure it out oh we got a puerto rico in the house we got puerto rico in the house what's up lamar you see everybody checking in here on Facebook, I got you. I got you, Tom. We got Tennessee, we got Tampa, Florida. Everybody's checking in. Sound is good. Audio is uh, audio is good and video is good. Uh, we're going to get this show on the road on, uh, in a second. But also too, like I say, what's up, Whop- Whippy? Okay, I got you, Juan. What's up, Juan? Everything is looking and sounding good. So, guys, we got everything good to go. Like I said, if y'all guys have not seen a promotion throughout the week, we got Phil Anderson coming on this evening. Bill Anderson is a game-fowl breeder, but he's also a trapper with about five decades of experience. Um, I posted a lot of pictures of all types of animals that he has trapped, and he's going to come on here and give us some inside information on how we can deal with these varmints, you know, because, again, him and I see so many posts on social media with people saying, what what has eaten my chickens? You know, I came outside and look at what my chickens look like. So, you know, a lot of times, in many cases, nobody knows – you know exactly what varmints have attacked their flock so phil is going to come on this evening to talk to us about uh one how to identify two how to track three and how to control um i think you know him and i has had some lengthy conversations about it it's some awesome information and he brought two things to me two animals uh to me reptiles basically y'all guys are gonna be just as shocked as i am that eat chickens and i never paid attention to it so Again, guys, everybody's checking in from all over, Alabama, Georgia, California, South Carolina. We got Tennessee in the house. Uh, This is going to be another great episode, guys. And again, what we talk about here on Journey to the Pit is everything that you need to know to raise gangfowl. And it's not just breeding chickens, but it's also varmint control. So, guys, welcome Mr. Phil Anderson coming on this evening. Let me go ahead and bring Mr. Phil in. Phil, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing <laughs>
1: great. I'm with you. Uh,
0: I am doing Greetings, great. Hold salutations. On,
1: me...
0: Right, exactly. So, listen, guys, we got Mr. Field on, but before we get started, let me go ahead and say the disclaimer, as I always do. Everything discussed in this interview is for historical, educational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this information is intended for any illegal purposes, and all opinions are respected of the individual. I will also add to the disclaimer this evening, based upon because of our topic. Uh, this evening is all the information that phil anderson shares with us tonight please verify and check it with your local uh fishing game commission or local ordinances uh before y'all guys go out and start doing some of the some of the things that phil will be sharing with us tonight so again he's just giving y'all guys tricks tactics techniques and and educational information but it is up to you to verify this stuff can be used in your locality so phil welcome 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 to the show we are so glad you. that you're on this evening, and uh, and we look forward uh, to hearing the great information that you have.
1: Hey, I'll do my best. Uh, uh, I'm 51 and a half years old. I grew up in Maryland. I uh, uh-huh. uh, got my first chickens and pigeons when I was about nine. Okay. And, uh... Bannies and pigeons and guineas, and uh-huh. uh, I was heartbroken every time I'd go out in the morning to take care of them and massacre some massacre. They just everything's dead, mm-hmm. and it happened. Just came and through the yard. It didn't know what the hell it was. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, our own dog did it, uh, fox did it, weasel did it, mm-hmm. this did it, that mm-hmm. did it. Well. I was a hard-headed young man, and I said, "Well, by golly, I'm just going to sort this out." Right, <laughs> and I, I I started paying attention, and I started. Uh, first thing I did was started locking my birds up at night. Okay, I, you know, I'm in the hen house, eight by ten hen house, I just locked it up. Mm-hmm. They all went into roost. I'd shut the door, lock it, boom, done deal. Right. Uh, that would have been eighty eighty one. Mm-hmm. Fur prices were still relatively high. Okay. Uh eighty six nineteen eighty six, a number one fox would bring anywhere from ninety to hundred and ten dollars. Mm. The for the for the pelt. Right now, wow. it'll bring ten dollars. Wow! It's not worth it's not worth skinning out, right? You know, so there's no economic incentive for people to trap. Uh, Got gotcha. you. That's part of the problem that we have now. But right, I, I just uh, I started learning how to ta- how to trap things and catch things, and mm-hmm. you know, I was. I think I was 14 and I got my first 22 and right. uh, I I wasn't watching TV or on the, this thing or on the, right. this thing. I was down at the Creek.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I was, I was going fishing. I was out in the bush. I, I didn't have any time. Right. I didn't have much time for school either. I right. stayed out in the woods. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's a, that's a big problem with all our rooster men. I think when you had a conversation with them, they're all kind of, I think we all had
1: that problem. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and I just, I, I, but I love the birds too. And I, I showed in 4-H and, uh, until I was, I guess, 16, 15, 16. And then, uh, then, when I was in college, uh, I was hunting a lot, and mm-hmm. I had roosters when I while I went to college, okay, and uh, while and graduate school, I I kept roosters and fed roosters and competed back when it was mm-hmm. still legal in Virginia, okay, but uh, you know, as the years go on. More and more things started just eating chickens, and I had a talent. I, I used to go hunting constantly. I was deer hunting, quail hunting, pheasant hunting, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting—you right. name it, I did it. Right. And I said, "Well, I, I can fix that. I know how to get rid of that, and I right. figure it out." And I, you know, I just—I developed that skill. Uh, was it out of necessity? Right. I don't know. It was because I needed to have that skill I thought. Right. Or else I was just I wasn't going to have any birds or I wasn't going to have any rabbits or quail on the right. farms that I had to hunt. So I developed yeah. that skill.
0: Right. So, so basically, Phil, you know, like you said, you don't know if you got into trapping and stuff like that because of necessity or part because, you know, you kind of was an outdoorsy person anyway. But you, you start to realize that if you're going to keep any kind of flock of anything uh, on, on a farm, that you needed to have some type of understanding or some type of skill set to kind of protect your flock from these varmints, right?
1: Absolutely. Without a doubt, 110%.
0: So, Phil, tell me this. When you were growing up, um, you know, you said that was in Virginia, right? Because right now you don't live in Virginia.
1: No, I live in Maryland. I've always lived in Maryland. Virginia is a mile and a half due west, across the Potomac River.
0: Gotcha. So you've pretty much been in the same area. Yep. Okay. So, Phil, tell me this. You know, during those days growing up, and like you say, you would go out there and, and, and realize, you know, you would go out there to shock and disbelief that your flock had just been massacred by some varmint in an area. You know, did you ever find out what varmint that was or was it years down the road before you figured out exactly what came through your yard and just took everything out?
1: Trial and error.
0: Trial and
1: error? Trial and error. Uh, You know, if a mink came in or a weasel came in and decimated, you know, a flock of quail size Mm -hmm. dibs or, you know, a pen of a hundred little dibs, you know, and it's, the pen was up off the ground. Right. And it's small chicken wire. You know what did it. And killed everything, you know, just didn't leave anything alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you knew what did it. Um, the coons, you know, reaching in and grabbing through the wire, you know, what did it, right? Uh, right. neighbors' dogs, <laughs> you'd see them doing it, <laughs> you right. knew what did it. <laughs> That's the uh, good one that my own, our own damn dogs, right? Uh, but that—that that was those were the main predators back then, and really not so much the coons, because uh, the fur prices were still high. And I—I I used to run hat run coon hounds, and we'd hunt three nights a week, and we were lucky if we got one coon, treed one coon. We had good dogs; mm. they mm. just weren't around.
0: Mm. They just weren't because, like you say, they the fur prices was up, so they had everybody. Well, Everybody was out there hunting them things.
1: Oh yeah, this was before the fall of communism. The wall hadn't come down. Russia and China were buying all of our fur.
0: Got you, but we know that's a different. It's a different world today. So the woods is full of them. (laughs) The woods is full of them. So Phil, so let let us talk about now. Um, you know, you've been in the game foul, like you say, since you was a child. Um, and we and we constantly see these uh, pictures and videos all on social media with guys asking a question, you know, what got me, what got me, what got me? you know what 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 you think has done this and and, and to be honest, I never see like a follow up post on that same post or follow up comment say a week or two down the road where the person is saying, "Oh, I found out what it was." I just see a whole bunch of things it was a mink it was an owl it was a hawk it was a coon it was a you know what i mean it's like every comment is a different animal right so like you were just saying it is particular things that kind of help you understand what animal it was but Correct. tell us tell us you know if you have a game farm Like what is one of the first things or the minimum things you should be doing if you if you have chickens or you plan on having chickens and you don't have them there yet? You know, like what is the first thing that you would do in an area where you plan on having chickens?
1: I would keep my lot size manageable Mm -hmm. and I would build A very good, solid fence Mm
0: -hmm.
1: around a smaller piece of property than have a cheaper fence with larger size wire, whole wire. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have a real secure half acre than I would a a loose acre.
0: Right, a loose acre. Okay. So, so you said one of the things is definitely fencing and you would recommend to get the fencing with the smaller, you know, smaller holes versus covering more coverage, you know what I mean? With, with cheaper fence, because you know, now I got to do seven acres instead of two. So now I got to go to a cheaper fence, but you're saying if you go to a cheaper fence with bigger holes, that is, is going to have a negative effect as far as your security or protection of your flock.
1: Yep. Hey, I'd rather have I'd rather have 100 that are secure than 300 that are susceptible to a pack of neighborhood mongrels.
0: Okay, I got you. So fence is number 1. That's that's number 1. You definitely want to take a look at your fence. Um so if you're in that area, is it a good idea To kind of know what kind of animals is in that area?
1: Oh, without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. And uh, it's not so bad now. But really, uh, from what I've seen over the years, Mm -hmm. it's neighborhood house dogs wreak more havoc with the chicken man than anything else. Okay. You know, some, they might, the neighbors might live four miles away. Right. But they, you know, they turn their dogs loose and their dogs aren't trained. Their dogs are wild, you know, just run and they'll go in and just wipe you out. Right. We were talking to most, telling you about that friend of mine, left the gate open, had a great fence, left the gate open, wasn't paying attention. Came home ninety fresh two year olds gone. Wow. And all of them was done. Done.
0: And and that was a person that had a good fence, but just left the gate open.
1: Got in a hurry, left the gate
0: open. So so Phil, tell me this. Since since you said that, you know, they should know uh what type of animals is in a area. Just hypothetical. I moved to an area. I don't know what animals is in that area. What are some of the ways that I should be able to find out, you know, what type of animals is in that, is in that area? Well,
1: first thing I would do is ask some of the folks that you see at the feed store. Okay. When you go down to the feed store, say, "Hey, eh, what preys on chickens around here the most, do you think? Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and you know hey they want to sell you feed you're going to go buy you know a ton two tons of feed or right. you know 500 pounds 300 pounds they're going to tell right. you right because if they're selling feed they're probably selling traps
0: traps and we're going to get to that guys traps. we're going to get to traps okay we're going to get to traps later on in the episode so make sure you hang around for that because we're going to get the traps and in- Phil has a lot of creative ways of catching things. So, you know, we just starting at the beginning and we're gonna walk our way through this whole interview. So we're going to the feed stores, talking to locals to find out what type of animals is in the area, you know, in that area. Phil, like, why is that important? Why would you think that's important to know what type of animals is in that area?
1: Well, say I say I was from Florida, South mm-hmm. Georgia. And gators were a problem, and wild hogs. And I moved to, well, let's just say here in Maryland, or Pennsylvania, or Delaware, or Virginia. You're not going to have gator or hog problems. Exactly. But you're going to have red fox problems, you're going to have coyote problems, coon, Mm possum, skunk, You know, weasel, mink.
0: Wow. Got a whole boatload up there. Like, y'all got a, a circus up there, huh?
1: <laughs> it's something else, man.
0: <laughs> you got and a circus up there. So it's definitely, like you said, it's important to find out, you know, what you have in your area. So I guess, you know, you can kind of be on the lookout. So say in an area, you know, you have – let's start walking through some of the animals. But before we get to the animals, actually – we talked about something earlier where you were telling me that one of the things, as well, besides the fence, is every game farm breeder, every breeder should walk its perimeter, right? You were telling me something about walking the perimeter of your property. Well, explain to us why, what the walking of the perimeter, does
1: first, it's your property, and you're keeping a advance, you're keeping an eye on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're checking it out. You know, you're, you you know, you want people and animals to see that there is somebody there checking it out. Right. You got your fence. You want to look for holes, the wire that's bent up. Uh, you might see some fox hair or coyote hair stuck on a piece of barbed wire. Mm. Um, you might see where a, a house dog tried to dig under and get in right. and it's just that one little spot and if if you're not vigilant and you don't look for it it just takes another these animals are persistent and they're going to keep coming back and I've watched it I've watched it over you know over decades I've seen it over and over again they keep right. hitting the same spot and they'll go in and go in and go in and keep digging until they get it where they can get in and get what they want. And if nobody's stopping them, why not?
0: And eventually they'll be in a fence.
1: They're going to be in it. It's a, Right. It, it only lasts so long. You know, fences wear down. They rust. You know, the the cows in the other pasture lean up against them and scratch on the barbed wire. Right. You know, these things happen.
0: Right. So, Phil, tell me this, So, which that makes a lot of sense. You know, based on your experience dealing with, with game power breeders from all over, do you feel as though that we play more of a reactive role than a proactive role when it comes to this varmint control?
1: Without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt, 110%. Everybody that I, everybody that I talk to, I say, look, this doesn't just—you can't just catch five or six in November and think you made a dent in the problem. Right. You didn't do anything because when you create a vacuum, something is always going to fill the vacuum. Got
0: gotcha. you. So tell me this, Phil. With the individuals that have encountered the situation where, you know, I uh, went outside and I had five hens that was ripped to shreds, you know what I mean? Ate their heads, but they didn't eat anything else. Is that somebody who may not have been kind of scoping their perimeters or, or, or trying to get an idea what kind of varmints they have in the area and stuff like that? Is that the reason why that person is clueless to what ca- could possibly have eaten his, you know, his chicken?
1: Jim, uh, that's kind of tough for me to answer. Uh, You know, I I don't know. Um, You know, it it happens to all of us. You know, it it happens to me still occasionally. I don't keep poultry in Maryland anymore because it's such a terrible state. But uh, I had two brood pens down at my other place that we just Mm -hmm. sold. and I had Albany trio and one, and then I was breeding the Albany cock over two gray hens. Mm -hmm. And I had them outside of my room Mm -hmm. and flat ground and nice grass and everything, literally 10 feet from my door. And I wake up to this uh, God awful noise. And I had, you know, there's one of those uh, security lights, those lights that stay on kind of dim all night long. Mm -hmm. I go outside. A fox had poked his head through the feed cup hole. And I didn't file the wire down really well. Right. So he got stuck. The Albany... Is firing away. <laughs> <laughs> Our border collie has it by the tail, so he's getting pounced. The daggone fox is getting pounded in the face and getting his butt chewed up by the little border collie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how did how how did he get his uh? How did he uh get his uh? You said he got his head in there through the feed cup hole,
1: right? But he couldn't Something get it out. Small. Yep. He couldn't get it out because the wire was cut at such an angle gotcha. with the with uh-huh. the dykes that right. it, it kind of stuck.
0: So he, he screwed. stuck
1: in there, huh? <laughs> he screwed.
0: Wow. Then, that is a story. So when you came out, you're looking at this fox with his head stuck in there. Uh, Albany is dropping a hammer on him inside the inside the inside the, <laughs> the pen and a border collie is is got him by the tail <laughs> wow and you said that was about 10 feet away from your house
1: huh yeah the the door right 10 feet from the door
0: did you ever find out how did was the yard even fenced or was just like kind of like no no back? no
1: I just I had I, they were good pens right but the the fox were that he was bold. good though yeah, I didn't I wasn't worried about it. I really wasn't. It it kind of shocked me. Kind of shocked me. Wow. But now nothing yeah. shocks me.
0: Nothing shocks you, huh? Nah, so I, I see guys seen you seen too much. You seen too much. I see too some much. guys are posting uh guys are posting some some questions in there and I think we going to we going to get to those question guys, guys are asking about snakes. Um, guys talking about they having problems with mongoose um owls owl boxes yeah I think owls owls is definitely i think uh something that's a challenge for many people is it much is it is is it is it really anything that you can do with that for the owl situation
1: That's a tough one uh the old time way was an owl pole which was okay. a which was a steel trap a leg hold trap set on top oh. of a, a pole well okay. uh, it's against the law owls are federally protected
0: okay and owls, so guys understand that and listen what he, what what Phil is saying the way that they used to do catch owls was was that pole but now owls are federally protected you can't be trapping them like that I mean, you can't do that. So that's why I mentioned at the beginning of the video. Make sure you check your localities and your fishing game to make sure that you're not out there doing something that's going to get you in trouble. You know, when it comes to these protecting your flock. So even if you want to protect yourself from the owls, you kind of you kind of at their mercy, huh? Because there really ain't much you can do.
1: Not much, but I I saw a guy and he had a pretty neat setup. Yeah. His yard was Not very wide, but it was long.
0: Okay.
1: And he put 10-foot poles, and he put fishing net, like they use for catching salmon or, you know, the gill nets, but with the big six-by-six holes made out of fishing line, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and he stretched it over his chicken lot i seen that. I've been
0: to a farm here in Georgia that has that. I've seen that.
1: And the owls and the hawks, they fly down, and they get caught up in it, and they're all up. You call right. Fish and Game and say, hey, one of your lovely owls or hawks just is tearing up my fence or my my the, my the netting. Come and do something about it.
0: Right. Right. Because exactly. then, then exactly. the problem's theirs. Right. Then the problem is theirs. Um, how about hawks? One of the same thing. Same thing with hawks.
1: Same thing. You, you're not going to stop them. And right. You know, they're, they're migratory birds. Number one. So if you, if somebody were say to, to break the law and kill a hawk or an owl, kill a hawk when it's in his chicken lot. Um, there's going to be twenty more that come mm. within the next week. Wow! They just because they're it's migratory. Leave them alone, huh? Hey, it's a minimum five thousand dollar ticket.
0: Wow! So you better leave them hawks and them owls alone.
1: Leave them alone. Put the netting up. Uh, I you see know uh,
0: concoctions too one of the guys had one of those things like you see out in a car lot with that little man connected to the air blower. But well, I would think that would be pretty expensive, but he, he has that guy. He lives out there in Arkansas and uh, he has it. And he said, it works really, really well. But I never asked him if it's something that he runs every single night or how he run it. But he did send me a video of it. He had a yellow thing. It's the same thing that they use in front of the car lots to get your attention. Like a blow up man, that blows with that air blower and then he flop yep. all around he said that that has worked for him so you know again like i say i don't know if it's something that he used all the time or what so i guess on those two things we kind of we have limited options uh with the hawks and the owls so let's now start to talk about the things that we do have more options to protect ourselves from and let's start with the coons coons cause a lot of uh, well i ain't gonna say they cause a lot of damage but coons do get in folks yards and and, and, and cause damage so what are some of the things to look for when it comes to coons and what are some of the things we can do to protect ourselves from the coons
1: as we discussed earlier you know they're famous for reaching through chicken wire and grabbing them and just getting that head and pulling the head out of the wire Mm-hmm. That's a telltale sign. Um, right now here in Maryland and West Virginia and Virginia, we are getting ready in the next two weeks to have the 17 year cicada hatch. Okay. okay. So there'll be billions of these cicada bugs everywhere. The mm-hmm. larvae are coming up, the larvae are coming up to the surface of the ground now and uh i've been going out in the backyard and at customers uh properties and seeing the yards just all just torn up like hogs had been through it okay you know the the coons and the fox are just digging and digging and digging and eating those grubs because those grubs are you know yeah like that you know and it's pure protein Wow. Pure protein.
0: So so tell me, Phil, you know, besides this time of the year, you know, what can we do to kind of protect ourselves from those coons?
1: Trap 362. I
0: got you. Trap, trap, trap. So tell me this, now that we t- talk about traps, at least with the coons, you know, what type of trap do you recommend? And where, you know, I know you have plenty of traps. And where did you buy your traps from?
1: Well, actually, I brought this in. There's a little have a heart. Okay. Squirrel rat chipmunk trap. Right. And I used to get the the big size of these, mm-hmm. uh, they're great traps, okay. but they don't make them the way they used to. And a big, okay. a, a big coon, a big 20 pound, 18 pound coon, 25 pound coon. He'll tear that metal, that, that tin. He'll just rip it apart. And I, I got so right frustrated. Yeah. I just got so frustrated spending so much time with dykes and, pliers trying to bend it to get it to work again i gave up Mm -hmm. and i was using homemade traps then when i was in kentucky uh last summer i went to cabela's and i saw this trap and it just it was a neat design and i said i'm gonna buy one of those okay and then i i bought one and we used it down on my buddy's place and i said i better buy another one before i go back to maryland yeah. <laughs> we have, right and i'm glad i love them i love them i've caught fox in them plenty of coons Wow! Uh, wow. a friend of mine down in florida's caught bobcat in them
0: wow so uh, so this trap that you're talking about is from cabela's and so anybody is it something that's only exclusive to Cabela's that you know of, or or if it just just so happened to be in Cabela's?
1: There was a brand name on the tag. Okay. I can't remember what it was. There was no when I went out this afternoon to look at the trap, I couldn't find the name on it. Okay. But it's I mean it's just it's a very simple design, quality construction, made in the USA. Okay. And it's a great trap.
0: And that's key, is, is getting a great trap when you're out there trying to catch some varmints, for sure.
1: You have one shot. You have one shot, okay. You have one shot. If a raccoon gets, if he doesn't get caught, you probably won't catch them again in that trap. Got you. Or so any
0: very, or any other thing similar to that, huh?
1: You do it Do it right the first time. No second chances.
0: So when you're out there trapping anything, you got to make sure you're doing it right. Because if you don't, like you said, if you don't catch them that first time, you're probably not going to catch them at all, at least not in that same identical trap.
1: Right. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. Right. (laughs) I make, I make them all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, but I reevaluate and, and I, I sort it out. And, uh, but I also, I don't get in a rush. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not looking for instant results, right? It's a job and it's a process, Mm -hmm. but once you get in that rhythm, Especially on a chicken lot, it's not that big a deal. I mean it, it's fifteen minutes out of your day. Maybe more like ten, five. And if you right. if you have a big lot and you I just I these are with me all the time. They're in my truck, well, you know, wherever I am, I have a pair not of binoculars. Us, huh? Yep. So I look right couple hundred yards down the hedgerow, that that trap hasn't been set off, nothing in it. Don't even have to go down there.
0: Got you. So tell me this, um, before we talk about the distance, the radius, because you said a couple hundred yards. You know, with setting those traps, is it different types of bait you use depending on what type of animal you're trying to catch or is it just a universal bait that you use?
1: If I want, say, for example, to only catch raccoons, okay, I use marshmallows, vanilla extract. Hmm. You don't need the real extract. You can buy the imitation. They don't okay. care. <laughs> uh, peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Raccoons go crazy <laughs> over them. What? And uh, yeah, they love it. Melon, uh, cantaloupe, they love it.
0: So, raccoons like marshmallows, huh?
1: Love them. I've caught three here <laughs> in the back. I've caught in the last month, I caught three big boar coons in my mother's backyard with, with marshmallows. marshmallows, just marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> Just so throw five this marshmallows. This,
0: and- that that is too funny. So tell me this, then, Phil. So is there any other animal out there? Like say you went the the the, the trap, the marshmallows was gone and, and, and they just so happened got out the trap. Is there any other animals, varmints out there that's eating that, that will eat the marshmallows? Or is that just something coons are only gonna eat?
1: I caught a fox on marshmallows one time.
0: Wow, that is
1: I caught I caught a young fox, uh, you know, a half-grown fox on marshmallows one time.
0: Wow. But mainly, a coon is going to be the one eating marshmallows, peanut butter, honey, vanilla abstract, all that type of sweet stuff. A coon, that's what you're going to use to bait a coon.
1: Right. And it's just like a coon loves sweet corn. When your sweet corn's growing and getting ready to be harvested, You go out there and all the it's everything's knocked down because the coons knocked it down and they've eaten all the sweet corn. Right.
0: (laughs) So so tell me this Phil. since we're talking about baits and animals, let's talk about all the animals we can catch in a trap. So we talked about the coon. So what type of bait would you use for, say, a possum if you wanted to trap a possum?
1: Just catching anything. uh, Sardines. Canned cat food, uh, leftover chicken bones, you know, when you go to KFC or Popeye's or whatever, uh, don't throw the bones away. You know, I'm I'm always saving them. I said, no, no, don't throw those away. Give me those bones. Take everybody's bones off the table. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I put them in a wire basket, and then I wire that to the back of the trap or hanging. Okay. At the okay. back of the trap, and then whatever coon, possum, fox, whatever comes in there, he smells it, he gets a little taste, then he starts really working at it, and then he's gonna hit the mechanism, trip the trap, he's done.
0: So tell and me this, you, Phil, when you say the back of the trap, do you like kind of conceal the back of the trap? You know what I mean? Like when you putting that trap out there, do you cover up like the back of it and
1: only have yes. say
0: half the trap being shown?
1: Yep, absolutely. Oh. Uh, on these traps that I was uh, talk, telling you about, the wire is very small—a okay. uh, centimeter by a centimeter. So a, a coon isn't going to be able to get his paw through there. But I don't even—I I, I don't want them to even be able to move the trap and accidentally trip it. And it happens. I mean, you you can't do anything about that. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, you can do something about it. You can stake the trap down with wire, uh, put a cinder block on top of it, put slate on a piece of slate or cinder block on the back, Mm -hmm. and then force them to go in the front.
0: Got you. So you can seal in a back to force them pretty much to go in the front, right? That's the purpose right. of concealing a batch.
1: Okay. Yeah, and they're smelling okay. it. And and they, they can't try to get at it. They can't dig underneath the trap. I mean, I mean, they'll try they'll try every way to get into that thing rather than right. go into the door.
0: So you just make it the the path of least resistance. Like you ain't gotta dig up under it, you can just walk through this door. You ain't gotta shake it and crawl over top of it, you can just walk through the door. So that's basically how, how you got the trap set up, like why do all that work when you can just walk through this door? So you set it up like that on purpose to make that the easiest way to get to the food is just to walk through the door.
1: Absolutely. And that's what that's what works for me. So,
0: Phil, tell me this. Um, so we got the – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I wasn't saying anything. Okay, I'm listening. It was a delay, Phil, but we back on now. I, it was a delay, right? It was a delay. Can you hear me good? I hear you fine. Yeah, it looks can you like hear me? Having a, yeah, it looks like we just having a little delay. It could be, it could be one of the internet access, but everything. It looks like we back on board. I guess we look like we are back on board. So let's keep moving. Um, so we Do talked it. about the bait for the raccoon. We talked about the bait for the for the um possums um how about fox what type of bait would you use for a fox
1: in a box trap it is extremely difficult moderately difficult to catch a fox in a Mm -hmm. box trap it's got to be a certain there's certain circumstances Mm -hmm. and A fox that's way out in the wilderness down in South Georgia probably isn't going to, a red fox, probably is not going to march right into a box trap. Mm -hmm. He's just not going to do it. You know, but where they're exposed to a lot of people and a lot of outbuildings and construction, and they're not so scared and they scavenge. And so they're used to going into places like that. And so you can get them with the box trap. I, I caught two here in town. Well, Actually, I caught three here right. in town. I mean, right in town. Great big ones. <laughs> one right outside the, the apartment door here with a box trap. Yeah. I sent you what, the picture of trap? one in the, yeah. in the box trap. That's literally yeah, I, 25. Yeah, I got the pictures. I got the yeah, tw- pictures. I didn't know. 20, 25 feet from where I'm sitting.
0: Wow.
1: Five nights. Wow, that's amazing. I so, had it set five nights, and I got him on the so fifth Tell night. me this, Phil. How,
0: that's what I was going to ask you next. I was going to ask you next, like, how long does it typically take and I know this can be, that might be a question that you can't really even answer because there's so many variables to it. Um, but you said with that fox that you caught, it took you five nights to catch him.
1: Some nights, some, some take 21 days, 20 days. But wow. there is no animal that is more easily habituated than a red Fox. Hmm. You can get them to do whatever you want them to do with time and patience.
0: Wow. A Fox, huh?
1: I can pretty much tell you if I walk a property and see what's there and, uh, Now I can pretty much tell you what I'm going to be able to do Mm -hmm. pretty much. There's always variables, right? And you know, you you have to take advantage of every single opportunity or take advantage of every opportunity or plus you have, right? You know, (laughs) when you have a, I have arthritis from Lyme disease Mm -hmm. and uh, it's kind of like rheumatoid arthritis, but it's not as severe and I'm in remission. So I feel better. But when a front moves in, I, I I ache and hurt and I don't want to do anything. I'm out there trapping. I'm making sure my traps are all good. They're all set. They're the way I want them. Boom. Because Mm. That bad weather's coming in. Those animals are not gonna be able to eat, and you gotta eat to live.
0: Got you. So you use that bad weather as an advantage to oh yeah. Trap. So you yep. know they're not food is not gonna be just sitting there easy picking. So the weather is bad. I got this trap over here with some marshmallows on it, or some sardines or whatever the case is, then that's gonna be you know, something that's a lot more tempting to them than if they had food all over the place. Like you said, the last two weeks where they digging holes all in the ground everywhere. So, Phil, tell me this. Uh, So we talked about the coon, we talked about the possum, we talked about the fox. Now you said it's difficult to catch a fox in a box trap. What other ways do you, what other way can you catch a fox?
1: Leg hold traps, okay. steel traps, steel leg hold traps, and uh, snares, neck snares. It's a noose. It's a sixteenths right. aircraft cable and mm-hmm. a loop about like that. And you set it oh, about that high off the ground mm-hmm. in a break in the fence or a hole in the fence mm-hmm. or where a board is missing off the fence. Mm-hmm. or on a run and they'll go in it and <sighs> they them. they're against the law in this county but i can drive 16 miles north and it's perfectly legal to use them
0: got you so that goes back to like we talked about earlier just make sure the stuff that phil is discussing just make sure you check with your locality to see if you can do do that stuff in your county so with, with, with the uh, steel trap, so that's how you catch it with the snare. How about the steel trap? You know what type of scenario would you set up with a, with, with a steel trap to catch, say, a fox?
1: Well, there's the traditional way of you know you you know, you dig a hole, you use some scent lure, you set that trap. You dig a hole. You, you cover the pan, which is the triggering mechanism. That when they step on it, that releases the springs and the jaws go shut. Okay. What I do, because in in bad weather, when it's cold and they're they're hungry and they gotta eat, I take a carcass of a duck or a goose. You know, we Great. do a lot of goose and duck hunting here in Maryland, and you know the geese, especially the geese. the The edible part, the best part, is the breast meat. So we just take the breast meat out, and then we have the rest of the carcass. I tie that goose. I either hang him so he's about six eight inches off the ground, or I stake them to the ground or I tie them to a tree or a pole. Okay. <clears throat> this winter, I caught, in four, I set traps 45 days. I caught 23 fox off the same place.
0: Wow, within a 45-day period, you, you caught 20-plus fox in the same place. 23
1: fox on that one place. Wow! I would not have. I would know. not. I would not Church. have believed it had I not seen it and done it myself. And I had a witness too. The old farmer, he'd go on his porch and he'd look with his little binoculars, and then he'd give me a phone call. He said, Phil, you got one." Wow! One you did one that with
0: a leg trap, steel trap,
1: steel traps. One day, one week. Five days in the, five days in a row I had fox mm-hmm. every single day for five days. It's unheard of. I mean, it's crazy. Wow.
0: And you said, and what type of bait was you using?
1: Uh, geese? The goose carcasses. Goose yep, goose carcass. Goose carcass.
0: Okay. Goose carcass. So and say it, I got a, it. Oh, go ahead, Phil. I'm sorry, Phil.
1: Well, I, it was a four-by-four four post, and I tied oh. his wings back around the post with wire so he couldn't move and then his guts are i take a knife and i open his guts a little bit get that smell going Mm -hmm. i use some commercial uh fox bait that really stinks uh Mm -hmm. you can look it up uh it's all kinds of different stuff i don't even remember what i used but it just gets that odor in the air
0: lingering Mm -hmm.
1: But they come up and then they they grab a bite of those guts, yeah, or the whatever, and they start and then they get hungry and then they they grab a hold of it and they start pulling pulling
0: trying to take and it off the
1: post. They can't get it anywhere. So then the whole time he's moving his back feet trying to pull that goose. Pop! one wrong move got him in this one. Then he's trying to get away from that one. Bam, I got him in another one.
0: Right. <laughs> right. So you set your you set them still traps in a little perimeter around that that goose strapped to that pole or tree yep. or if it like you said if you got them staked in the ground. That's yep. pretty much how you want to set your traps. Okay. Okay. So tell me this and I see somebody mentioning in the comments. How about bobcats?
1: I do not have a ton of experience with bobcats. Okay. Uh, there are not many up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that my friends in Kentucky and in Florida catch them in the box traps that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. They also catch them in the steel traps using the same method I was telling you about. Hmm. And they, they also will take a live hen. One friend of mine, he takes a live hen. He puts her uh, under a milk, uh, milk crate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he puts a cinder block on top of that and food and water in there. The bobcat comes up. He wants in, wants in, can't get in. He's moving around, moving around, doesn't pay attention. Boom, you got him. Got you got
0: you so he's he's so he's so uh focused on that hen and trying to figure out how to get up in that crate that he doesn't realize that his back feet is just trampling all around that trap until he trampled right into it
1: that's it i mean it, if you were a, a purist trapper you know it's a sloppy way to do things
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know it's not the perfect way to do things but i'm going to tell you what i'm results oriented mm-hmm. i want i do that's whatever works
0: at the, end of the day.
1: At, at the end of the day that's all that matters i got him
0: got you so so phil let's talk about a couple other animals because we sure. already had an hour i told you <laughs> I told you it don't take long we are <laughs> we already had an hour how about these weasels and mongooses and stuff like that? You know, how do you catch those things? Are you catching in one of those little traps that you just put up?
1: Weasels and... Weasels and mink. Uh, and I've never had any experience with mongoose other than in Africa and shooting a couple. Um, okay. I... I've never ha- really had any experience with them. I know they wreak havoc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for weasels and uh, mink, I use a fish-based commercial-made bait. You know, you can you can buy it at Cabela's or on these trapping supply. Just go online and type in trapping supplies, um, mink and mink bait. And it'll be probably some fish type bait. Okay. I know this is going to sound just absolutely nuts, but I've <laughs> I've used rat traps. You know the big use wooden rat traps. Yeah. You know for a rat. Yeah. You know the one like a mouse trap, but it's yeah, a lot big bigger. Ones.
0: Yeah, the big the big ones. Yeah, like they use up in yeah. New York. But go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I instead of putting peanut butter on the bait thing. For a rat or you know I put that stinky fish stuff and I put it in a run I study and I watch the grass I see where the grass has been moved and the weeds have been moved and I set it right in there and he's got a habit and he goes in there boom that thing just crushes him boom he's dead
0: got you got you
1: and there is you can also use there's called a conibear trap, which I don't use because one with one hand I can't set them. But okay. they're a killing they're a killing trap, and you open them up, and there's a piece of metal that hangs down, and you put the bait on that. When the animal passes through or grabs that bait, then it the door swings shut and crushes them.
0: Got you. they were
1: developed in canada i don't remember when because people thought the foot traps were cruel so they developed a trap that would kill
0: i got you instead of okay all right so it's it seems like we covered a lot of the animals now i think the only animal we have not covered which is a nuisance to to some people to a lot of people depending on where you locate (laughs) it Um, This will be the last animal we cover. And then I want to talk a little bit about the tracks and stuff like that. Uh, How about the coyotes? Like, what is the situation with those?
1: (sighs) Not good. Mm -hmm. Different places, they are different problem levels. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a customer right now that lost six lambs and a ewe about $1,500 worth of livestock in one night. And I've known these people for years. And I said, look, you got to stop screwing around. And they bought a year and a half old Pyrenees. And I, I told them how to start working that dog and training it. It was on a cattle farm. It had been used to cattle and chickens. So the sheep, it's getting used to the sheep and it's doing a good job. Okay. And they've had it about two weeks now, and uh, you know it's still in the learning process. But it's they're doing well. They haven't so lost any sheep.
0: So, can you, besides the dog, can you trap those coyotes as well, just like you do with the foxes? Same method.
1: A eh, little bit different. A little bit different. Coyote. A coyote is. He's a coward. Okay. He, he's a real coward. He, he's the one animal that lives with his head behind his shoulders. He's always looking over his shoulder. Mm. And I've sat there. I've sat and watched coyotes go up to traps and just sat there and watched them, you know, where I had a trap set. Right. And the, and the baits there he'll pace back and forth, back and forth a hundred times before he will commit to go and get a bite to eat.
0: Hmm.
1: So what I do, I just find a place maybe six, seven foot away from the bait. Hmm. And I set the trap the way you're supposed to set a trap, you know, the proper way to set a trap for that. I dig my hole. I bury my stake. I bury my chain. Um, I'm wearing rubber gloves. I pack the dirt around. I put a piece of wax paper over the pan. I take a sifter and I sift dirt or sand over top of that. Take a little bit of water, sprinkle that, and leave it alone. And just keep checking it. It's just time. It just takes time. He might not come back through on his circuit. He might not come back through for a week. But in that week, he will come back. And chances are, he will step in that trap trying to get that food.
0: Got you. So, Phil, tell me this, you know, what is the perimeter or what's the radius that animals like that, you know, if if you had that kind of problem, um, you know, on your farm, you know, what is the radius like these animals travel? Is it a couple miles? Is it 10 miles? Like, what is the radius that these coyotes and coons and all that kind of stuff travel?
1: A fox's home range is about... uh, Male fox will travel about 15 miles. Okay. Um, A boar coon, a male coon, about the same, maybe a little less, 10 miles, 10 square miles. Coyote, much bigger. He might go 20 miles. And they've done Hmm. studies. You can look it up uh, online and see the studies where they did radio collars and then they tracked them. It's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting stuff, but we've run, we used to run coyotes up in Vermont with Fox hounds, and Mm -hmm. we had 20, 20 and 25 mile chases, but you know, we, after five miles we'd go pick up the dogs and we would drop fresh hounds out and keep that going that way. And then we 25, we'd catch him crossing a, cornfield or something and shoot him or turn a catch dog loose out and let the dog go out and walk him down.
0: Right. Right. I didn't know. I mean, that radius is amazing. And the fact that you said coyotes is really nothing but cowards. That's what make them actually even harder to catch because they so afraid of everything and ain't really taking a chance on nothing. So you got to really catch them with a bunch of patience, basically.
1: You got to have the patience, and you got to be able to. It, it just is. It, it's a it's a pay. It's wait. It's a waiting game.
0: Waiting waiting game. Okay, okay. So, you know, Phil, we covered a lot of stuff in his interview. We over an hour, but it's, it's some <laughs> a, a few other things I want to a few other things Please. I want to cover. Hey, um, I'm
1: drinking coffee. Get, I'm up now.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a few other things I want to cover. Um, because again, I think we provided them pretty much with all the information you provided them with the type of traps, you provided them with the bait, you provided them with the behavior of the, of different types of animals. Um, let's talk about if I am, you know, walking my, well, I ain't gonna say walking my perimeter, but, but saying driving on a gator or something like that, my perimeter, you know, is it any type of, signs that i could be looking i know you said you know sometimes you see coyote hair or something like that or dog hair or stuff like that on a barbed wire or on a fence or sometimes trying to dig under but is there any particular like track marks do like they travel like deer do the same path all the time you know what i mean
1: Within fox do animal fox do coyotes do to a certain extent Okay. um And, you know, I, I know that on, you know, the, the golf carts and the gators are a must, right? But there is nothing like feet on the ground, mm-hmm. shoe leather, take right. your time, look closely, you know, it doesn't have to be every day, but right. twice a week, walk your fences, walk them, take the, take the farm dog and go for a walk Mm -hmm. and look. And whenever you're hunting anything and you're trying to determine, you know, where am I going to get a shot? Where am I going to set a trap? Where can I lay up and wait? Right. You look for something that's not, Normal, that's not supposed to be there.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Cattle fence that's pried up six inches is not supposed to be like that. Right. A tuft of hair is not supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. You know, and your eyes will deceive you. You know, but uh, after a day after a rain, that's when I love to. A day after a rain. So in I can look in the mud or right after a fresh snowfall, I'm out. I'm out in the woods. I'm looking Mm -hmm. because that whatever route, it's so easy to see. I mean, or I'm riding in my truck just looking, just I'm driving 10 miles an hour down the road, looking, 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 right? There he is. There he is. There he is. Got him. Boom and I'm the I don't just trap my farm is here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't just trap around my farm. I got a buddy 5 miles up the road. Right. And I set a couple traps on his place. I got another like buddy say- 10 miles 10 miles the other way. I got four traps he's checking for me. It's the no mercy.
0: Back I- to that radio, right? it all goes back to that radius.
1: Right. And as soon as you catch them, it's just a matter of time, it's nature's way, they're right. going to be more in there. Mhm. It never ends. It never ends. Because when when the female fox raises her litter, mm-hmm. the first thing she does when they're old enough, is she runs the little males off. Mm-hmm. She'll bite them and and grab them and shake them so they don't inbreed. Oh. Same with the black bear. When the black bear cubs are about 80, 90 pounds, that sow will start beating them up. And that's when we start seeing them down here. Cause 50, 60 miles away, we have the Catoctin mountains and, uh, they come down the river, and then we see plenty of black bear. Twenty fifteen miles from the White House. Wow. Got you. So
0: that is something I guess you got to really keep in mind. So, uh, so around breeding season, or whelping season, not breeding season, but whelping season. After whelping season, you might encounter some issues that you really haven't encountered. Because the, the mamas is going to be pushing the males away. So now they're going to be out there on their own, doing their own searching for food.
1: Right. And whelping season is, for Fox here, whelping season is late July, August, maybe first part of September. Mm-hmm. And September, that's when you start, September, October, you start seeing the bear. Okay. Uh, but the times that, you know, you really, got, I mean, I trap year round on the right. f- certain farms cause it's just, I have to, to keep, keep them down, but you really want to hit them. You really want to trap hard as soon as the trapping season starts, or if you're on your own property and protecting livestock, it's, all, th- no, all bets are off. You can set your traps on your property. Right. But I'm doing it, say, starting November, and I don't let up. I don't let up through April.
0: So April because they're you going hard.
1: Hard. Hard. All the time. Because you got breeding season, so they're running. Mm-hmm. Then... The female foxes are pregnant, and it's wintertime. They got to eat. So they're eating like crazy to grow those three, four, up to six babies. Right. They got to do that. The coons are laid up. The females are up in the tree, and they'll come down and drink a little bit. But the boar coons will still run. you can catch them right that's what i was been catching that's all i caught this winter but i caught 50 coons last year so i only caught i only caught maybe a dozen coons this year but i caught 50 last year so i i knocked them back pretty good right
0: so so tell me this and this is going to be the last animal we cover and 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 i got a different Take on this, and you open my eyes. No, actually, this is not going to be the last animal. This is going to be the last three animals because the last three, we saving the last three for the best for last. Um, What are your thoughts on snakes?
1: All right, snakes. I'm not scared of snakes. Okay, I like snakes. uh, to me, they're beneficial.
0: Okay. And what
1: I do also want to say that all these animals, they're all God's creatures. They all have a place in this world, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, things get out of balance. Right. And, <laughs> you know, as, as, as stewards of the property that we have or, you know we have to we have to manage what we right. have
0: it's called managing no different than hunting you know right. if, we, if we don't hunt deer and all that kind of stuff they're going to just get overpopulated you know we got houses in places that it, it wasn't a house a hundred years ago and we got neighborhoods in places where it wasn't a neighborhood 50 years ago and you know what i mean and and, uh, uh, you know, we got to manage these animals because we're populated in places where we used to didn't be. And, you know, they expand. And especially when you don't hunt them, you know, all of these states who have stopped hunting particular animals. And I forgot, I just read an article about the wolf. I think Idaho, I think it is Idaho. Idaho just uh, gave the past a bill to eliminate all the wolves in Idaho. Because, yeah. again, they go back to this, you know animal rights. No, don't kill the wolves. Don't kill the wolves. Well, you know what now? The wolves are out of control. The wolves are out of control, so the politicians have to step back in and say, you know what? We got to go after the wolf now. So you go from don't touch them because they have rights to now they're out of control and we got to eliminate all of them. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's like you say, it's the balance. You can't just stop not hunting wolves. They're going to get it. They breed. You know, like, what do you have to control them? You know what I mean? It's like, if we didn't eat chicken, but we had chicken houses, what do you think going to happen? Somebody got to eat them chickens? You know, going to eat they, them. Exactly. I mean, you know, it is, it is, and it has happened with every single animal, even the ones that they're trying to bring back from the brink of extinction. They stop hunting them. So that tells you right there, when they stop hunting them, they repopulate. So, what happens when you stop hunting wolves? They're going to really, really populate. You know, if you stop hunting coyotes, they, you know, all of these animals are going to get out of control. It's the same thing that the conservationists does when they're trying to bring an animal back from the brink of extinction. So, like you say, regardless, at the end of the day, they are God's animals. But, like you say, being a good stewardess, so we do have to kind of keep a balance. You know, not eradicate them. You know. But, but, keep a balance where they can live, we can live, and we can coexist together to me that's what it is I mean that's what hunting's all about, you know that's what
1: it is so we that's exactly comb- what it, it is, yeah, but uh, the snakes your regular chicken operation they're gonna they hurt you quail size and down, okay they're hard on them mm mm-hmm. uh. That, that picture of that corn snake i showed you right uh it killed it eight or ten pure butcher uh quail size i had oh i was i was heartbroken but i didn't get angry at the snake he just did what he what he's yeah he did what a snake does and we have black rat snakes up here and black racers and they do the same thing and you know i just I pick them up and I take them and take them down to the river and turn them loose. I don't want to kill them. That's just my choice.
0: And and you said the benefactor to that as well as they eat rats and mice.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and horse farms, uh, they'll say, Hey, Phil, if you get a bunch, you know, get a couple, save them up and bring them up here and turn them loose. Gosh. We're not, we're, we don't have any chickens but the wherever you have animals livestock feed you're going to have rats and mice it's, right. just a, mm-hmm. it's just how it is it's
0: how it is now you, you now, now that's definitely right you going you know some some situations are worse than others but at the end of the day you are going to have some type of rats or mice you are going to have something if you got livestock and you got enough of it even backyard breeders who got you know egg layers and stuff like that they have it they might not have big New York City rats, but they got some, you know, mice at least, field mice and stuff like that. They're going to have some type of rodents out there. So you're not a big fan of eliminating the snakes due to the fact that they do help with the rodent control, even though they may put your quail-sized chicks or smaller at risk. Um, Is there anything that you can kind of do, you know, to kind of maybe keep them away a little bit, you know, (laughs) You know what I mean? Because some guys are like, nah, I'm not, you know, I'm eliminating them snakes. But is there any advice you can give somebody to say, you know what, you know, I see the benefit to them, but I don't want to step on them when I'm walking in, a, in inside the, you know.
1: Yeah. The oh, no, no, I get it. I, I'm not telling anybody what to do. I just, it's right. my opinion and the way I right. feel about it. Uh, Mothballs. Toss mothballs around the perimeter of your property. They don't like that smell. And underneath buildings, they don't like that. Um, And if you really got a lot of snakes and you got to get them down, uh, get a minnow trap and put a couple small yard hatch, you know, that you're going to call anyhow. Put them in there with some food and water and litter. In a couple days. In a couple days, you'll have a black rat snake in there. And he's, wow. he's he's in jest. He's constricted and swallowed that chick. So now he can't get back out the hole. <laughs> oh. He's stuck in that minnow trap.
0: Got you. Got you, got you, got Okay. So that's one of the ways you catch them. Yep. So we want to cover these last two, which... Shocked me, but when you when I thought about it, it made all the sense in the world. I posted up early, too, guys was the snapping turtle and the uh, what's a toad, right? Bullfrog, bullfrog, bullfrog. Now, big bullfrogs, that, yeah, that that caught me off guard. When you told me the snapping turtle and a bullfrog also eat chicks, you know, and I when I thought about it. I remember my father fishing and, and catching, you know, snapping turtles, and we, he did use chicken on a hook. So I guess that made sense, but you know, I guess it just really depends on where you live, because the picture that I posted up, that was a pretty big snapping turtle. And oh, with yeah. that size snapping turtle, you said that can eat a quail sized chick or smaller, huh?
1: Oh uh, no. He'd take a cock and chop his leg off off the cord.
0: Wow! So, guys, I don't know if y'all seen it, but I did post a picture earlier of the snapping turtle that Phil caught, and Phil is saying that size snapping turtle right there that he caught will bite a bite a cock's leg in half, straight off the tie cord.
1: Straight off the tie cord, and I know this. I, I've seen it myself, but when I first heard about it, uh old joe z who's passed away bless his soul mm-hmm. he had a a lot a tie cord lot that was on a tributary of the chesapeake bay
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they would go down it was, they'd go down there and there would be a leg of a chicken tied to the tie cord and the cock is gone why i mean it was like cut with a knife and he couldn't I mean, they just couldn't figure it out. And then the, the Spanish guy that was feeding for Joe said, Senor Joe, Senor Joe, Tortuga, Tortuga. Right. And Joe didn't get it, and then he put two and two together, and he went down there, and the guy had this big snapping turtle, and there was one of Joe's, these whites, and his leg was... <laughs> chopped off
0: wow so snapping yep. turtle was eating his cock straight off the tie
1: cord. straight off the tie cord, coming out going up underneath the fence on the bank going through grab a cock take him take him back in the water
0: because they definitely eat chicken i know that for a fact oh, yeah. so how about the how about the bullfrog i mean that one caught me <laughs> off guard I'm
1: like, oh, that one, that one one blew my mind. Uh, I also, one of my hobbies and things I've done, uh, I like to do is fish ponds, you know, koi ponds, goldfish ponds. I've installed them, you know, make them, designed them, installed them, you name it. And uh, I have a friend who was a chicken guy up in New Jersey and we were sitting on his back patio Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and watching the, the waterfall and it was a beautiful day and a little sparrow flew to get a drink of water and that bullfrog gone. Got him. Wow. And I said, Whoa, that was unreal. And my friend said, Phil, they'll do it to chickens. I said, you're kidding me? He said, no. He said, look. And he went into the house and he brought out a picture of a of a quail size, a quail-sized game fowl that had been the frog had ingested. Now I frog hunt. I used to I used to gig frogs quite often. I used to go two, Mm -hmm. three nights a week. And I found, you know, snapping turtles, you know, maybe. Four inches, the the shells four inches long inside right. of a frog. Wow. You saw the pic you saw the pictures of those frogs. Yeah, they were bigger than those crocs. Yeah, those crocs are size ten. Wow. Them things are he- enormous. Them things is enormous. Yeah. yeah, huge. And I I mean I've seen baby ducks that were had full feathers, maybe weighed a pound. I've I've gotten them out of tur- out of frogs, uh, other frogs. You know, a big frog, one that's two thirds the size of the of the one that ate it, mm-hmm. just a third smaller. And that frog is he'll eat it. They're you know cannibals.
0: Wow, that those was like I say, those last two really like blew my mind but but again I know about the snapping turtle because I remember my father fishing I mean catching snapping turtle with a piece of chicken on a hook so but 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 them as far as going and and snatching a, a cock straight off the tie cord is amazing so it all depends I guess it goes back to like you say just knowing the geographical area you're in and what animals are going to be a threat to your flock basically That's why it's important to know what animals that, you know, what animals is in your uh, geographical area so you have an idea. Um, Absolutely. Wow.
1: Absolutely, Jim. You know, you got to be aware of your surroundings at all times. You really do.
0: That's what it all comes down to. Well, Phil, listen, brother, I think we pretty much covered – you know, all of the animals, it was definitely a lot of comments and stuff like that. It looks like a lot of them understood. You you explained it pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, that's the great thing about it with the trapping and and stuff like that. A lot of stuff was pretty straightforward. Um, there were a lot of questions, but I think throughout the interview, those questions that they had was answered. They were just asking questions before we actually got to that top, you know, that part of the topic. So, so that was a great thing about it. But, um, you know, like I say, guys, uh, if you just chimed in or you didn't chime in at the middle, uh, at the beginning of the uh, interview, definitely go back to the beginning of the interview. Watch, watch the whole interview. Uh, Phil pretty much covers all the animals. That's, that's typically a threat to a breeder on his farm, from coyotes to possums to coons to foxes. Um, talked a little bit about the bobcats. Um, you know, he talked about how to trap them, what type of traps to use. What type of bait to use? Um, what type of what type what time of year uh, you should be focused on, or at least going hard with it. Um, Walking your perimeter, what things to look for. So his whole basic thing is two: how to identify something, how to catch it, but also being very proactive. You know, being very proactive. Um, you know, so I think that's probably one of the keys because a lot of times, in many many cases everybody that i know is just reactive they don't start looking to trap anything or to get anything until they walk out on a yard and something in the flock is dead that's the only time that they start walking perimeters they start looking for traps they start trying to identify what's what and a bad thing is if you do have something that hits your flock don't stop until you find out what it was because i don't ever see anybody figuring it out what it was. I mean, so I don't need, know how you can really be proactive if you don't go out there and spend a time to try to figure out, hey, listen, what done is to my chickens. And if you don't know what it is, I think you need to keep trying to figure it out, at least out there searching to figure it out. I mean, what do you think, Phil?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, be brutally honest with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it comes to dogs. Mm hmm. You know, so many times you'll see dead chickens on a yard and the owner wants to blame it on this, blame it on that. Mm -hmm. Well, you can tell when a young dog has just mauled a chicken and not, you know, ripped, you know, but they don't want to think their dog did it. Right. But it ends up, you know, you got to be honest with yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have a chicken dog, you got to spend the time with that dog, and train it, and make sure that he's proven before you get him in that lot. Mm-hmm. And golden rule: never two puppies together.
0: Never two puppies, huh? I see. Never that two. As, I, yeah, I seen that as definitely a problem. I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm pretty sure somebody out there who had two puppies and they didn't have any problems with that at all. Sure. But I I think if you took 10 cases, there are going to be more cases where people have problems with two puppies than cases where they all worked out fine. I mean, that's just based on my experience. Again, you know, just based on my experience, I see it's difficult. When you got two puppies, it's kind of hard. My opinion. I I think it's kind of hard.
1: They're not paying attention to you. They're paying attention to themselves. (laughs) <laughs> right. and you know they, they're pack animals and they're going to get in trouble right yeah. you know and and it just doesn't work and i used to raise labrador retrievers and my brother's a professional trainer and you know it just doesn't work right. you ask any dog any hounds any bird dog beagler coon hunter they'll tell you never you know you hunt an old dog with a young dog yeah, them two you know.
0: puppies, that's that's what all types of training. I agree. I definitely agree. But like I said, somebody out there who probably had a different experience. But like you said, if you ask all of those different types of sportsmen, dogmen, uh, they'll tell you that two puppy thing is very difficult. It's best to do one. Uh, hey, I,
1: I was blessed, you know, growing up with old timers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I was 16, 17, 18, 19, into my twenties, I grew up in hunting with old timers and fooling with chickens with old timers. So I, I learned a lot, and then I learned a lot on trial and error.
0: Right, that's right. You know, and
1: and don't be afraid to make a mistake. Go out there, but you know, do your homework, and then go out there and give it what for. Right. You know, and then and, and like in Wortham's rules, the number one rule. Protect your cock at all times. (laughs) I
0: know that's right.
1: (laughs) You got to protect them. (laughs) That's Protect your rooster. Protect them at all times.
0: At all times. Phil, this has been an amazing video, man. (laughs) You shared some great, great information, dude. It's been a pleasure. Uh, We talked about a topic that, you know, like I say, this is the first time we ever covered this topic on Journey to the Pit. And, uh, you know, when you really brought it to my attention about, about, you know, predator control, I said, man, that's that's a very good topic. Um, and I said it because it's something that we have all been hit by. Um, it's something that we got very little experience with. And in many cases, if not all, everybody's always reactive. So I hope, you know, if, if you have watched this interview, I hope now that you'll take some of this advice that Phil has shared with us tonight and kind of put it into practice immediately. You don't got to wait to November. You know, they can, you can put it in practice immediately um, because, again, you don't want to be reactive. And, and it might have been something that wasn't that valuable to you that they got this time. But if you don't get them before, they will eventually get you some shape, form, or fashion. Um, and the dogs are great. I know many, probably 99% of guys out there got great dogs on their farm at the end of the day that I look at the dogs are, are the last line of defense. You know, you should have layers of defense when it comes to your flock, not just one line. Um, the dogs, it seems like with, with, with breeders, the dog is the first and the last line of defense. It's all, all in total. So if the dog fails, the whole yard, the whole flock is vulnerable. If a dog passes away, the whole flock is vulnerable because you have no other lines of defense And guys never pay attention to that until they lose a dog, either through passing away or running away or getting hit by a car. Then they realize how vulnerable they were. So I think the information that Phil, you know, uh, shared with us tonight can be used as different layers of defense that you can have and not have the whole burden on your dog. Because, again, we all know dog is a living creature like everything else. You can wake up one morning and he can be gone. Just like we do with
1: these chickens. So,
0: hey Jim, um,
1: that's pretty much it. The top guys I know, the mm-hmm. top guys I know, chicken guys, mm-hmm. they got dogs in rotation. Mm-hmm. They got a dog that's, you know, a good chicken dog at three years old. Then they start a puppy. Right. Then it's six. You know, every three, right. four years, they're putting a new dog into the into the rotation. Mm-hmm. So they ha- they have two, three, four dogs, but mm-hmm. they're never without one.
0: Right, right. That's and they're I never know. caught That's exactly right. Yep, they're never caught yep. off guard. Mm-hmm. So, guys, like I say, man, it's it's again another night of great information that you can put in practice. Now, I think one of the points that Phil is driving home is just being proactive, not being reactive. And he gave us some tips and tricks that we can use uh, to try to, you know, create another line of defense. Um, and that's pretty much it guys I hope y'all guys enjoyed this interview tonight I I know I did and I learned some stuff um you know in Puerto Rico we ain't got to deal with all those kind of animals but still the biggest threat over there is dogs and cats <laughs> but but again like Phil said a lot of times that's the that's the worst predator is your neighbor's dog <laughs> So guys man so Ugh. Phil listen brother uh have a good night. I greatly appreciate you coming on the show, man. And, uh, you know, we always talk, you know. On
1: a, yeah. Day Jim, day. thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, always. man. It's been a pleasure, man. Love talking hunting and trapping and chickens. I know that's right. <laughs> Love doing it better. that's right. Exactly,
0: exactly. So, listen, guys, before we close out, like I said, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and hit that bell for notification if you're watching us from Facebook, make sure you hit that like and that follow button. You, you know, we have these interviews every Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as you can see tonight, we've come up with all different types of topics. They've covered the a whole gamut. Anything that you need to know when it comes to raising game foul. And you can see we didn't talk about chickens tonight. We talked about a topic that is extremely important if you plan on raising chickens. So hopefully, y'all guys took this information to heart, took some notes rewatch the video share the video because again it's all about each one teach one so guys that's gonna be our last information we're gonna close this interview out i will see y'all guys next friday 9 p.m eastern standard time on youtube and on facebook phil you have a great night brother and i will be talking to you soon
1: talk to you soon god bless
0: all right god bless thank you guys like i say just have a have a great evening Stay focused, stay positive, stay blessed, and remember to share this information because it's all about each one, teach one. When one grows, we all can grow. So y'all guys have a great evening. Good night.